Hey there, it's Martine. Before we start the show, I need to tell you one more time about this incredible deal for a subscription to The Washington Post. Until the end of the month, you can subscribe to The Post for just 99 cents every four weeks. Or for just $9.99, you can give a one-year subscription as a gift to a friend or a family member. This is the best deal that we've ever offered, and it's almost over. Go to WashingtonPost.com slash subscribe before the end of November. Okay, on to the show. So, Dan Diamond, health reporter for The Post. I don't know about your Thanksgiving, but on my Thanksgiving day, I was reflecting on how grateful I was that things with the pandemic were finally turning around, that I was getting to be with my family. At that point, I was blissfully unaware that there was even a letter in the Greek alphabet called Omicron. Like, I actually had never heard of that. But now, in just a few days, it feels like Everything has turned upside down with this new variant. I had a similar Thanksgiving experience where I was the uh, rain cloud at everyone's picnic. But if I have to confess this too, I, I first I was like, "Is that a transformer?" <laughs> but then I, then I realized, no, I was thinking of Unicron from the from the Transformers <laughs> movie when I was growing up. In the last few days, the emergence of a new COVID variant called Omicron has taken over the headlines. Public health officials have been putting out dire warnings. Countries are reinstating travel bans. People seem to be gearing up for the worst. But there's this big gap right now between what we fear and what we actually know about Omicron and about how it may or may not change the course of the pandemic. From the newsroom of The Washington Post, this is Post Reports. I'm Martine Powers. It's Monday, November 29th. So far, there have been confirmed cases of the Omicron variant in Southern Africa, Europe, Israel, Australia, Hong Kong, and Canada. As of now, there still are not any confirmed cases of Omicron in the U.S. But public health officials and even the president today have warned that it might only be a matter of time before it's detected here. Sooner or later, we're going to see cases of this new variant here in the United States. We'll have to face this new threat just as we face those that come before it. It looks like Omicron might become the next big hurdle in beating the pandemic. And now, the name of this variant is just one more obscure term that's suddenly cemented in our vocabulary. Omicron has emerged really quickly, concentrated in Southern Africa, and it has challenged what scientists expected about the next variant of coronavirus. Currently, there is a dominant variant known as Delta. Omicron has evolved from a different genetic lineage. It has lots of mutations, some that scientists haven't seen before. We reached out to reporter Dan Diamond to talk about what we know so far about Omicron and whether this variant is something that we should be seriously worried about. So, We know that Omicron contains several dozen mutations, including some that have surprised scientists, many that are concentrated around what's known as the spike protein, which is where current vaccines are are focused. We know that Omicron's been detected around the world beyond Southern Africa, and we know that it appears to be growing faster than previous outbreaks. But then there's a lot we don't know. Uh, We don't know yet how Omicron will challenge current vaccines, although scientists strongly suspect it will evade some protection. We don't know what it means to be infected with Omicron versus earlier versions of coronavirus. It might be a more severe case. It might be more mild. Hmm. And we don't know how widespread Omicron already is. It's quite possible it's already been 
quietly growing in the United States without being detected so far. So we know that this new variant was first detected in South Africa, but do we know that that is where this variant originated? We don't know. And that may be a continued mystery, just like the emergence of previous variants and to some extent the coronavirus itself. But the reason why Biden administration officials and global officials have targeted Southern Africa, so Botswana, South Africa, six other countries with travel restrictions, is the evidence suggests that's where the current epicenter of the virus variant is. In Southern Africa, cases have gone up dramatically in recent weeks. Mm -hmm. The number of cases that are specifically tied to Omicron are the highest we have seen so far in the world. It is quite possible someone brought it to Southern Africa. But from what officials were able to gather, that's where the most virus is right now. That's why there's been such a response focused on Southern Africa. It's been kind of remarkable to see how quickly countries around the world have banned travel from Southern Africa and the U.S. has almost immediately put in place these travel restrictions from these countries in Southern Africa. And I have heard some criticism of President Biden and his administration for doing this or at least calling it hypocritical that, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, Biden criticized Trump for this travel ban against China and that now similar restrictions are being put in place so quickly. So when you think about these travel restrictions, what's the rationale for them? How effective are they expected to be? And what are the potential downsides of these kinds of travel restrictions? You know, Martine, I've tried to ask this directly to Tony Fauci, other White House officials involved in the coronavirus response. And what they say is they've tried to learn the lessons from the earlier emergence of the virus. Travel bans don't work completely but they might work to slow the spread of the virus, especially if we know that there are countries that are more heavily hit with cases. So Tony Fauci said, you know, the goal here is just to buy some more time, buy some more time to understand Omicron, buy some more time in case we need to spin up new vaccines that specifically target this variant. So every day matters in a global outbreak. Travel restrictions can buy those additional days. But I thought it was interesting, the the president of South Africa, he came out and basically called these travel bans discriminatory. These restrictions are completely unjustified and unfairly discriminate against our country and our Southern African sister countries. The prohibition of travel is not informed by science, nor will it be effective in preventing the spread of this variant. The only thing the prohibition on travel will do is to further damage the economies of the affected countries and undermine their ability to respond to and also to recover from the pandemic. So is there a sense that there could be some risks here or some blowback from the fact that these travel bans have been implemented so swiftly against these few countries in Southern Africa? One fear that I've heard is this is a disincentive for countries to be proactive in warning the world if sanctions are essentially levied on the countries that are sounding the alarm. Hmm. There's some truth to that. This is a global pandemic. We all need to work together in countries that feel like they're being punished for what they see as doing the right thing. That makes it that much harder to have global trust and cooperation. There's also some irony in that the United States and other countries putting these restrictions on places in Southern Africa 
the United States has been dealing with a raging coronavirus outbreak for over a year. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we are, in many ways, exporting virus to the world, even as we are putting restrictions on other countries. I'd also love to talk a little bit about the vaccination rate in South Africa and some of these other countries that have these travel bans. How many people there are vaccinated? So South Africa is both a good outlier and also a concerning one. On the continent of Africa, South Africa is better at vaccination. About a quarter of the population has been fully vaccinated. But compared to the United States, for instance, that is significantly behind where we are here with about 60% of the population. And do we know why that is? Why they're behind? Some of it is that South Africa and other countries in the developing world have been at the back of the line waiting for vaccines to arrive. I've spoken to advocates in South Africa who were pushing for shipments earlier this year, even as Some of the doses in America were going to waste because people weren't using them. But there's also a challenge just getting those doses into arms in places like South Africa. There have been doses sent there that have gone unused. South Africa and other nations in its region have said to vaccine manufacturers, please slow down your shipments because we don't have enough uptake. Some of these doses might expire. They might go to waste. So it's a combination of both waiting to get the shots, but also once they're arriving in South Africa and neighboring countries, not having them immediately go into arms. It does feel like this moment is the culmination of a lot of conversations that we've had over the past almost year when it comes to vaccine inequity. And I know that you said that some of this is that the vaccines are there, but they're not able to administer them or get them into people's arms. But at the same time, I mean, we've talked so much about Africa in particular being the continent that's at the back of the line when it comes to vaccines and being able to get the number that they need to get high vaccination rates. And in some ways, I wonder if this is like an I told you so moment from public health officials who say, look, you can't just be looking out for your own country, that any country that is unvaccinated is a risk to everyone. I've seen a lot of public officials saying, I told you so, though I also worry that that might be too simple. The situation in Africa has been at times horrifying. I've spoken to local health officials who have seen doctors and nurses die this year from lack of vaccination, even as we had more vaccines than we knew what to do with in the United States. Those are preventable deaths. It's horrible. Should never have happened. At the same time, when there are vaccines going to Africa and not being used, that suggests that there are deeper challenges that just making more vaccines available might not have solved. Africa is dealing just as we've seen in pockets of the United States, disinformation around the vaccines. Mm. There are parts of Africa that really lack for the last mile work of getting vaccines into arms, whether it's not having sufficient refrigerators to keep the vaccines protected, uh, not having enough rollout on the ground. And then there's this bigger question, Martine, of where do the vaccines get made in the first place. Right now, Africa's been relying on lots of global charity with Western nations donating shots to countries in Southern Africa. Southern African countries want to be able to make their own shots. And that's been an ongoing battle with the pharmaceutical industry. Interesting. So do you think that this Omicron outbreak will start to change some of the conversation around the onus either on other countries to be able to donate more of these vaccines or to change some of those more infrastructural issues that prevent countries like South Africa from making and distributing their own vaccines? I think Omicron is absolutely going to be the focusing factor. 
for countries that have been waiting for doses or want to produce their own, they will be able to say to the United States and other Western nations, look, we are all connected. This is the latest example of why we need to make sure that our population is as protected as possible to prevent the emergence of new virus variants here that might infect others abroad. After the break, what the Omicron variant could mean for us in the U.S. We'll be right back. In-laws, love them or hate them, you're pretty much stuck with them. And when you're a ruler in the Middle Ages, that can be a serious problem. It might even land you dead. I'm Dan Jones, and on season four of This Is History, I'm telling the story of England's weirdest king, Henry III. He's in way over his head, and he's surrounded by bloodthirsty relatives with their eyes on his throne. To listen, search This Is History and follow wherever you get your podcasts. As public health officials wait to hear about possible Omicron cases here in the U.S., the Biden administration is already trying to prepare for what an outbreak of this new variant would mean for us. So they are doubling down on vaccines and on boosters. The early evidence suggests that while Omicron may be able to evade the vaccines and get into people who have been fully vaccinated with two shots and a booster, the symptoms may be relatively mild. Now, it's early days. That may change. Those are anecdotal reports from South Africa. But the hope that the Biden administration has is if we are all as protected as possible under current vaccine formulations, that will ward off the threat of this new variant. So expect the Biden administration to really redouble its efforts, not just to get holdouts vaccinated, but to encourage all American adults who are now all eligible for booster shots to get those too. It's just remarkable how quickly the conversation around booster shots is changing, because I feel like even a month ago, it seemed like there was so much reticence in the government that, look, we should be focusing on getting the unvaccinated vaccinated rather than this like extraneous third dose for people. And it's pretty amazing how quickly that's changed and that the overwhelming sentiment from the government seems to be get a booster shot. The evolution of what we know about the pandemic has changed on every front. And the response has moved more and more quickly as a result. Martine, I was asking the White House about this over the weekend. Back when India was seeing what we now know as the Delta variant ravaging its country, it took a lot longer for the United States to put travel restrictions on India. This time, Biden and his team moved really quickly, virtually overnight from Thanksgiving to Friday on the decision to put travel restrictions into place. And I think that reflects the more that officials can learn about how the virus spreads, the more they're trying to move faster and faster. And on something like the booster shots, there had been a split at the highest levels of government over did we have enough data for the universal application of booster shots? How much was vaccine protection really waning from earlier in the year? And we've seen more and more evidence that people who might have had two shots of Pfizer or Moderna six months later, seven months later, eight months later, are losing some of that protection. And that's why the booster shots have been embraced as a strategy to get people back to a higher level of of safety in the midst of an outbreak. 
I know that you said that scientists are currently in the middle of the process of trying to figure out how effective the different vaccines are against Omicron. But if there's a world where there's a concern that these vaccines aren't kind of like up to the task of defending against Omicron, is there a world where we get a different vaccine? Can manufacturers make something else that's more targeted toward this specific variant? That's absolutely a possibility. I talked with Moderna's president, Stephen Hoge, about this over the weekend. And what they are doing at Moderna is a three-pronged approach. We have had a three-part strategy for since, since actually January of this year, um, when the first beta variant really got us to our level of action. So we've had multiple different multivalent vaccine candidates, so combinations. We've had you know, updated against Delta and Beta variants. And so we've always had those and we have data on them. And we've had them in the background in case they were needed. First, they're testing whether existing vaccines and boosters will work against the variant. Then they're further advancing two pre-existing booster candidates that they'd worked up in the lab in anticipation of a variant sort of like Omicron. And they're trying to see if those booster shots might be better. And then third, they're putting into production the possible Omicron-targeted booster shot. But whether they actually switch over and make one of these really targeted boosters, Martine, we don't know that yet. They have not done that so far with variants like Delta because the evidence suggested that existing vaccines and boosters would work well enough in warding off those variants. And the decision, as Moderna's president told me, to basically unplug the current process of making all these vaccines, switch over to a new formulation, that's not an easy decision. It will slow down global production. It might introduce new risks. So they don't make that decision lightly. They will only go that path if it's clear that the vaccines that are in production don't work particularly well against Omicron and a new formulation would work better. Well, it's interesting if and I know that all of this discussion around whether switching a, to a different vaccine is, is premature because we don't know how effective or ineffective the current vaccines are. But it does feel like if there was a world where companies like Moderna were switching production to make something else, that you come back to the central tension of like, are you going to make new vaccines to newly vaccinate people in countries that have already had access to these vaccines? Or are you still going to focus on trying to get everyone else the first vaccine that they haven't had the chance to get in the first place? That's such a great question. And it's one that I've been trying to ask of officials too. The real big decision that everybody would have to make, ourselves and everybody else, governments would ultimately have to make with us is do we want to switch over manufacturing lines to an updated vaccine and that you know in the context of not yet having enough vaccine for the whole world that's a big choice um, if you decide to take 20 percent or 30 percent of global vaccine supply or even moderna's vaccine supply and start making um, a backup plan well the, the the downside of that is that slows down the availability of vaccines more broadly. And I think that is the one place where maybe, I don't know, it's equitable access, but this question of the trade-off choices becomes very real. This idea that, okay, are we going to learn from the new variant and all the places that remain least protected, do they suddenly move to the front of the line and we try and get new formulations to them first? Or do Western nations that have contracts already with Moderna and Pfizer do they get locked in and, and do we get again the first best defense? 
and global health experts are worried that the latter is what would probably happen, that Western nations that already have deals with these pharmaceutical companies will get dibs on whatever new formulations and the contracts that have already been signed in favor the West would remain in place. So I don't think we would see a dramatic reordering. It's kind of the same as it ever was, Martine, that the rich nations get the best protection first and the poorer nations have to wait. Hmm. That's sad, but I guess not that surprising. Yeah, depressing. So for a lot of us who have been seeing these headlines over the last few days and seeing how scary some of these headlines appear, do you feel like people should be panicked about this variant? Panic is not the word I would choose. Uh, Aware, vigilant, but we don't know enough to even know if this is a worse variant or not. There is the possibility that this mutated form of coronavirus may end up being a godsend. We don't know, but it could be a lesser risk to get Omicron than to get Delta. It might lead to mild symptoms. There is a history of some viruses evolving where they get weaker over time. What I think Omicron can do is illustrate the power of keeping protections in place. If it evades vaccines, it's another reason to keep wearing masks in crowded places. It's another reason to make sure people are getting tested if they feel sick. And it's another reminder to the world about why we need global health cooperation. So those are all reasons why reporters like me are trying to focus on the potential threat. But there is a fine line between focusing on the potential threat and readers walking away with the feeling that they have to shutter their house and live in their basement. Mm-hmm. Because it does feel like there is this tension here in that obviously it's very important for these kinds of things to be reported early, for scientists to be aware of them as quickly as possible, that people can get to work on studying this variant and tracking it and figuring out what's what. But I also wonder if there's a risk there in raising the alarm so aggressively and so early on before it seems like people really know anything substantive about what the implications of this variant will be. Right. There's a tension between reporting early, but doing it with very little data or waiting longer to warn people and having more data in hand. But at that point, it's too late. And I think public health experts would say they will take the former every single time. Unfortunately, the more that public health experts warn and if a threat doesn't actually materialize, it leads people to tune out those warnings the next time. And that's something that Tony Fauci and others have told me. They're trying to walk that line. And I know as a reporter, I think about this all the time, Martine. The Moderna president told me in the lab they were looking at Omicron and they thought it was, quote, a Frankenstein. It scared the the heck out of us because it was like a Frankenstein mixture of the greatest hits. I mean, it really had um, everything we were worried about coming together. And seeing it in one variant so quickly, the only hope we had was that maybe it wasn't going to transmit. Maybe it had gone too far. But I think what we've seen in as early as you know Thanksgiving and then through the last 48 hours is that actually this is out there and pretty broadly. That might scare some people. It might help others. And I think about what is the best way to communicate how this virus looks and why scientists are so worried. But also not freak out Americans who might not need to worry about this at all. And and that is the kind of tension that we will probably still be living with, regardless of what happens with Omicron, because it certainly is not the last variant that will emerge. Is it the worst variant? We'll probably know that better within a couple of weeks, but can't say yet. 
So what is your advice to these Americans that you're trying very hard not to freak out? <laughs> uh, I know that I feel, as someone who has recently boosted, pretty good about resuming daily activities. I've gone back to swimming at the local pool. I went to the movie theater last week. I had dinner with friends. But I also know that if Omicron is already emerging quietly around the world, and there's a chance it might infect vaccinated people, it's that much more important for me to keep masking to avoid really crowded places until we know more about what Omicron really is and what it can do. So I am, I am moving into a more cautious state these next few weeks as we wait on more data, but I'm not shutting down the life that I know I was looking forward to resuming and, and many others too. The reason we got vaccinated, got boosters, was to resume some semblance of, of normal life. And Omicron's emergence is not reason to put that all away just yet. Dan Diamond is a national health reporter for The Post. This story was produced and mixed by Lena Mohammed and edited by Ariel Plotnik. Last week, we aired an interview with Dr. Fauci on Post Reports. One of the things that I talked to him about was booster shots and why he thinks that all eligible Americans should be getting a booster. It's a very interesting listen, especially given what's happening now with this variant. And if you haven't heard it, it aired last Monday, and we'll put a link in today's show notes. That's it for today's episode of Post Reports. Thanks for listening. I'm Martine Powers. We'll be back tomorrow with more stories from The Washington Post. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, The Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Class is in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen.